My name is Ashley Bennett. I'm the district coordinator um, for West Central District for IT Development Office. I'm Jill Lingard. I'm an extension professor in the State Marriage Office. Um, I have a variety of roles to strategic planning and evaluation, the camping program, and day-to-day um, -day support of our program administrators. Well, I'm, I'm very excited to be here. So I, at one time, not so long ago, was sitting in these students, right? I'd like to think it wasn't that long ago, but I think it might be a little longer than I, than I hope. But um, so very excited to be back in the department talking a little bit about 4-H development and some of the programming we're already doing around animal science, and hopefully furthering the discussion um, throughout the morning or the afternoon, I guess it is now, um, on how we can maybe do some more collaboration together. Um, to get us rolling here, this is kind of our agenda for the for the conversation today. If we deviate from this, that's okay too. Um, we'll talk a little bit. We've already introduced ourselves. Um, we'll do some background on 4-H. Um, look at our 4-H framework. So we don't want to make any assumptions that you know all the, the ways that we're programming and all of the, the delivery modes that we work in. Um, we'll talk a little bit about current animal science programming that 4-H is doing and, and how we're both contributing to those programs. Um, and then we'll look at opportunities for future collaboration um, and talk about some next steps. So just say we want the conversation to be informal, ask questions as we go throughout, and then as we get to that last step, we really just want it to be a brainstorm session. So we'll put the slideshow part of it away and we just want to talk. Definitely. Um, so first of all, I, I was remiss in not saying this earlier, but I do want to say thank you. So we do a lot of collaboration currently, and we'll talk about again um, what some of those are, but um, thanks for being here for the discussion. I think that's a good step um, in working together. And we're excited to talk to you about bridge. So, sure. Yeah. So what Ashley is sharing on the screen right now, and we have a little embedded video um, where we'll let you hear from Kathleen Little in just a moment, um, but it's the framework that 4-H is operationalized under right now. And so there are probably, for those of you who know 4-H well, some pieces that you really recognize, particularly around that outer ring where we talk about our delivery <laughs> modes, camps after school, school enrichment, special interest, and our club program, which is our traditional program and, and probably the one that you've interfaced with most regularly for those of you who've been partnered with us in the past. As you get around the um, next concentric circle there, you see things like STEM and healthy living and college and career readiness. Uh, those all represent the way that 4-H staff and faculty convene in teams around issues. It's part of the bigger issue team structure of extension. So these are things that our stakeholders have said are really important to us. And these are the ones of all of the extension issues that 4-H felt like we were best positioned to provide um, contributions for. And so there are members of our 4-H um, staff and faculty who sit on each of those um, areas that you see there. Again, some are probably really um, reminiscent of things you might think about it in 4-H programming, certainly STEM. We do a lot of um, science programming, healthy living, um, career and college readiness, which is some places think there might be a pretty strong intersection between your um, needs and our needs. We think there might be a shared pain point there. Um, we also do some work around entrepreneurship, of course, leadership development, community development, and then the one that's um, food supply and confidence, uh, though we serve a variety of roles, our role there is really around agricultural literacy. As you move in a little bit further, and I apologize, I should say my eyesight is not what it once was, and I have to look at these words a little more carefully. The next um, set of rings in are really our talking points, and they're the ways that we sort of group those um, clusters of issues together. For example, we say 
um, engagement in STEM and ag literacy. It's sort of a big talking point about what is it that Nebraska Bridge does to serve clientele in Nebraska. Uh, we'd say preparing youth to make decisions for today, now, and in the future around careers and healthy living. So those really just serve as a way that our staff and faculty can frame the work we do and what it means to young people and to families across the state. As you move in the next layer, you see a couple of um, sort of the shadowed gray arrows um, around science literacy and quality learning engagement. Those are two places that we have specialist efforts, um, and they're really the lens through which we do our work, making sure we're always thinking about our work in STEM and in other areas within a, a science literate framework, and then also making sure that we're thinking creatively about quality learning engagement. And um, Ashu Guru is our specialist in that area, and is really just trying to make sure that we're as progressive as we can be in terms of the way that we think about instructor curriculum and programming. And then as you move into the very last um, and central point of the model, that's really our, our framework and our cornerstone that's built on positive development. That's where we see our expertise. Uh, that's the um, field that we believe we own expertise in and a way that we can, um, you might think about us as your counterpart, whether that is in programming that we offer, um, where we maybe have the content expertise and we have the PYD expertise, whether that's around recruitment and how young people might pursue their college education, uh, maybe it's the applied part of a grant and um, you're looking for a dissemination angle for your grant and you think, okay, well, I could partner with 4-H under um, providing some sort of information or programming to youth as a way to disseminate my information. So PYD is really what, what we own as our expertise and, and we hope that's how you'll think about us in terms of our partnership. Ashley, I'm going to go ahead and let you push play on the video and allow you to hear um, Kathleen Godel, our state 4-H program leader, in a just two-minute video sort of frame this. Yeah. Jill did a really good job of going through that, and we can certainly um, share the link to that video as well. Absolutely. I, you know, she'll echo many of the things I said as I look at her approach to the conversation is really going to start with that middle um, PYD foundation and, and talk it on the way out. Um, but certainly, I think we're sharing a similar message when we can share that video like that. Yeah, I can definitely come out. Uh, just a little bit more um, regarding PYD, we wanted to understand again our discipline um, and, and maybe be, maybe there'll be some words in here that might trigger like, oh, I could connect with that um, and that could support my work in some way. So this is a long definition and I bolded the words I think are important. Um, the Interagency Working Group on Youth Programming uh, drafted this definition. Oh, I want to see maybe 2012, although I don't have the date in front of me. Um, but one of the things that we talk about with positive youth development, it's intentional. It has a framework, it has best practices, it has strategies and a structure and a theory of change that we really adhere to and follow as part of our discipline. Um, it certainly promotes positive outcomes for young people. I, I would assume that's the same in your work that you're talking about outcome-based learning or um, standards-based learning or educational testing-based learning or some sort of competency-based learning perhaps. And so it's certainly based on a positive outcome learning theory. 
And then we do that work through providing opportunities, fostering positive relationships, the youth adult partnership piece of our work um, has always been a mainstay and will continue to be, and in furnishing the support needed for youth to build on their leadership strengths. So just wanted to share that's a working definition that we adhere to and um, brings true to the way we frame our work in 4-H. This is a, a bit more simplistic way to look at it, um, and there's an emphasis on positive outcomes. As I mentioned, youth should have a voice. It's inclusive of all youth. I think that's a, a little bit of a misnomer about who we serve in Nebraska. We really are for all young people and in a variety of ways. So we've got traditional club members, certainly see um, ownership uh, with the 4-H program, but we're also serving 4-H participants in a variety of other um, ways through the classroom and through after school. Most young people might not always recognize themselves as a member of our organization, but they're certainly being served by us in a meaningful way. And then lastly, an emphasis on collaboration, and that's um, one of the things we'll be talking with all of you about at the end of this discussion. And again, just to simplify it even more, this is the paradigm um, shift that we operate under. We really, in like the late 90s, moved from a risk prevention, for those of you who were in high school in the late 90s, think about DARE and things like that, that were all about helping young people avoid risks. There was a big paradigm shift that really moved us to, we're not about helping young people uh, avoid risk, we're about helping and empower them towards positive outcomes. So positive experiences, plus positive relationships, plus positive environments. Before Ashley starts to dig into this, I just want to ask quickly if there are any questions about our framework or anything you'd like me to unpack further. Happy to do that now or at another time. Just want to know a little bit about us. Great. Well, I'll be down here. Is that gonna bother anyone? No, it's the old stage. All right, so <laughs> we wanted to give a kind of a general idea of where we already are on programming. So what are the types of things we're doing? And I'm gonna apologize if I'm using because a lot of you in the room are involved in some of these programs already. So um, the first one that we'll talk about is really our project enrollment in animal science. So that's any use animal science um, focused 4-H project. And we have 49,632 of those just in 2018 um, across the state. So that is, all, of course, with youth enrolled in multiple projects. So we know that a lot of our animal science youth projects, they are going to be enrolled in multiple of those at one time. But um, that's a pretty big number. So that is still remains, animal science still remains one of our more popular um, programming areas in 4-H. And, and it's it shown all across all these different programming. Ashley, does that number represent club enrollment? like membership enrollment and not signed up for that project. It does. So yes. it wouldn't include all of the animal science experiences that we would take in the classroom. So that number would be even larger than that. Right. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification. Yep. Yes, this is club, this is club enrollment or, or, or club model. And we'll talk about those other delivery models as well. So that's going to include our local county shows and contests. So there are a lot of those, uh, a lot of you in the room have also helped with some of those county fair um, contests and shows, um, which is always appreciated. appreciated. PACE, so Premier Animal Science Events, just to show a hand, a little crowd participation, how many of you have helped with PACE as a judge, as um, someone who coordinates the contest, any of these pieces? Because I know it's probably most of you, so no one's raising their hand. Adults don't want to participate, but. Um, <laughs> so PACE is very, very important um, program for us over the summer. Um, that is our, our state animal science contest. We appreciate all of your help. That is a big one for us. Um, and we know without leadership from animal science, that process would be very hard for us to deliver. 
Um, state and district course shows, so I'm going to pick it up the end here. Um, also very important, so the state and district course show is really handled by your leadership, right? Um, anyone else in the room that helps the state and district course show? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure other departments would probably make Yes, in different ways, exactly. So that's, that's another um, good way that we partner. And then of course state fair. So we also have several of you that, that do things at state fair. Uh, or have previously, there's some ways that we're shifting some of those contests, but State Fair is always been um, an important uh, partnership as well. So anyone help at State Fair? So thank you for all of those, uh, those collaborations already. Animals Inside and Out, um, some of you are probably really familiar with this program. So Animals Inside and Out is for third through fifth graders. Um, we hold several sites across the state. This was developed um, through one of our 4-H uh, outcome teams at the time. Um, and that team is still going strong and it's still still working together. Um, Brian Reiling is one of those benefits <coughs> of those as well. Anyone else done Animals Inside and Out programs? <coughs> I know we've probably asked for some support from the department in getting us some supplies or different pieces as well, and that's always very helpful for that program. We have had, I have some numbers after that, we've had um, 858 youth participate in that program in 2018 across the state in, um, I want to say maybe 10 different sites. So pretty um, pretty well used, utilized program. Youth Science Field Days is another way that we reach um, high school age youth in this case. So typically 9 through 12th graders, and most of these are out in the West Central District, um, as I mentioned, but um, we had five sites um, in 2018 and reached 902 youth in that program. So that is really geared toward um, career pathways and really youth looking at different careers, animal science being a large focus of that. We have an ag track and a regular STEM track. Um, and the ag track, the ag focus is very popular. So we do um, have several youth that go through that part. Ag festivals, so ag festivals are held across the state, um, really elementary age youth. So anywhere from kindergarten through fifth grade um, reach most of those festival ages. Um, and it's general agriculture, but there is always animal science, um, livestock components to that as well. Um, embryology, so most of our, this is where we're talking about different delivery modes. So as we look at our field days and our ag festivals, we consider those really school enrichment programs. So youth are coming to a site um, to, during the school day typically, um, to learn something that they wouldn't normally in the classroom, a hands-on activity. With embryology, those are typically done through school enrichment at the schools. Um, we have anywhere from kindergarten through fifth grade of learning embryology. Most of it's hitting first and fifth um, and really talking about um, the life cycle, typically in um, through hatching, hatching eggs. Um, some schools are doing um, other species as well um, through embryology, but we do reach many youth through embryology at multiple sites across the state. <coughs> um, we also have after school programs and clubs. So that out of school time is another one of our focus uh, focus times that we would reach youth. And a lot of our programming is focused on animal science. So the animals inside and out curriculum, the ag exciting science that is used at festivals curriculum are also utilized in after school programming. I know Dr. Cup has done some after school programming um, for some of the local schools um, as well. So hopefully um, there's teachers also reaching out to faculty. And I think that's a way that we can do some discussion on that later on um, how we can help you kind of bridge that gap to local schools as well. Um, then there's some other um, maybe newer programs like the Nebraska Fed Steer Challenge, which I think we're coming up with a new name. Remind me, 
if I'm wrong on that one. Uh, but several of you are on that committee. So I know Dr. Burson, Dr. Reiling, Dr. Crable, um, Dr. Schmitz, all serving on that committee along with um, a few of us from 4-H as well to try to get a new opportunity out there to 4-H So another good partnership piece. Um, the 4-H Cat Club I put on here. So uh, Dr. Carr has been working on that. And that's really, that's really your project, but um, it's another way for 4-H uh, to be able to um, maybe reach out to our families to be able to get them information about your program. And that's a really interesting and um, successful program that started off small, but is really blossomed in um, a new way to reach youth that might not otherwise have the opportunity. Nibbles is another one. I just met with a couple of members of the Nibbles committee earlier today. Um, and that's a, another good partnership that we, obviously it's an animal science program, but there are several uh, or a couple of us from 4-H that have to um, get word out about that program to our youth. Nebraska Youth Beef Leadership Symposium. Yes. Sorry. It's a long, it's a long title, so I like to shorten it as much as I can. Um, and then Make and Bacon is another similar. So Dr. Riley, um, Dr. Sullivan uh, work on Make and Bacon. And so um, we don't necessarily have a seat at that table, but it's another uh, program that we can get information out about to our babies. So thinking about these types of programming, uh, programs that we already have, um, really looking at other ways we could collaborate or um, help bridge that gap between um, our families and getting them animal science information. One thing that's not represented on that screen, that's a list of our current um, efforts and we were able to identify many of you who teach and participate in that capacity. There's also been a long history of curriculum development that's been supported by this department and providing the expertise in the content areas to help write curriculum that's in a true manual form or review activities that are part of a series of, of structures that we have available. So that's also been an effort that we didn't list there on the screen that I just want to say we are very appreciative of and um, will continue to need that expertise uh, as we move forward as we hire our staff and faculty around a youth development expertise. We serve a lot of young people in this area and we'll need your expertise to make sure we're providing the most current information about that. Absolutely. Um, so the other kind of side of this, so we have our direct animal science programming that we do, but we also have um, our career and college prep um, piece. And so this is a key initiative for Nebraska 4-H. Uh, we do have a team that supports college and career readiness. Um, and really that team helps to work with recruitment for UNL. So we do have um, representation in all four districts that are helping to um, kind of hit those recruitment uh, markers that we want to reach across the state and um, also helping to prepare young people for college. So we have certain programs like Connecting the Dots, Next Chapter, a new program that's rolling out, uh, Mapping Your Success, that we're training um, local ESUs in. Um, and so this is a piece where really we're just wanting to get you interested in a pathway. And so animal science fitting directly into that and I know we work well with Allie and, um, and some of these efforts as well. So we know that 4-H, 4-Hers do go on to higher education. That's one thing we're very proud of. And so of those 4-Hers who participated in 4-H through high school, 96% are pursuing post-secondary education and 33% of those youth are attending UNL. So this is something I think that when we talk about collaboration and partnerships with the department, um, this is somewhere we can really help you. I would just follow up that last section and say that that's the data that we collected from seniors exiting the 4-H program who'd been in 4-H three or more years and we had multiple years of uh, data collection on that tool 
Uh, we're moving forward in a different direction and um, establishing a partnership with the National Clearinghouse to do a bit more intentional tracking, not only of do they go on to higher ed, but where are they? So we're working on our first wave of collecting that data where we'll take the list of names of young people who graduated high school as participants in our, our club program and then run that through the National Clearinghouse six months post-graduation to get a list of where did they end up in terms of higher ed, what degrees are they pursuing, and we'll follow each grade or each group of young people through what's recommended is about the six-year mark to really uh, track for persistence and degree completion. So we're trying to get really intentional in that space about understanding where do our young people go on to higher ed um, and um, where are our alumni once they uh, leave graduation or leave uh, post-secondary education. So just wanted to give you a, a bit of a teaser. We don't have data on that yet, but that's our next effort in terms of data collection in that space. Very exciting to be able to track that. That will be very helpful. So why we're all here today. Uh, this all started really. Oh, yeah. Out of curiosity, you brought stuff back to that last One of the things I know, I think I'm speaking fairly to a group of us, is our wish to try to interact with students who are in urban school systems, since we feel we're missing them in terms of getting giving them sufficient background. So in some of the tracking, are you getting a sense of where the students are matriculating during their high school? In other words, are they primarily students coming out of rural communities, or are we drawing in through 4-H into higher education in our area from the urban communities? So in terms of those numbers that you see there on the bottom of the screen, they represent all 12th graders, and I don't have the breakdown as to how many of that uh, graduating class is urban versus rural, but I could certainly provide that to you just in, um, in terms of percentage of once kids persist through 4-H and end in 12th grade, how many of them are from urban versus rural communities. We could certainly look at that data. Um, the other thing I think that, uh, and Ashley, maybe you can weigh on this more, is we think about those uh, program areas that are up there on the screen earlier. Some of those, like youth science field days, are probably more traditionally in our rural communities, though not all. But school enrichment is really one of the strategies in after school where we're really trying to um, better serve our urban communities, knowing that they may not interface uh, with the traditional club program, that's just different in, in trend. Um, and so certainly we're thinking about that as well. How do we reach into that underserved population, or not underserved, but uh, urban population, which happens to be underserved for us in some ways. Uh, programs like Next Chapter, we're working with admissions to go into uh, Benson and Brian. and Brian to offer a, a program that's specific to those urban schools. Um, and it's really uh, more general than certainly animal science, but covers um, a lot about like helping them persist into higher education. And so there be there could be opportunities to engage with those types of efforts where we're already positioning ourselves, and then certainly to engage with our faculty in both Lancaster and Douglas Sarpy, um, and then Hall. Hall is the other area, Grand Island, um, where we uh, have large school systems that you could certainly find opportunities to work with. So. I would say to add to that, I think you're right. So it kind of depends on what your definition of urban is. So we're looking at what we would call metro in Omaha, right? So you just listed several of those. But if we look at Kearney, Grand Island, Hastings, Park Bluff, North Platte, those those are very represented in our um, youth science field day, our connecting jobs program, and next chapter program. So we are reaching those youth um, through more of that school enrichment format. Yeah. Great question. So while we're here, so uh, Dr. Sullivan and I had a conversation, probably May, 
this last year, right? Um, a little bit about how we partner and in different ways that we can kind of help each other out um, in doing some of this. So we're thinking through the afternoon, and I think we have a, a breakout room kind of booked uh, if you want to continue the discussion when we're done here. But we have some kind of questions to think about expanding our reach. So we're thinking about taking 4-H and animal science uh, programming to the next level. What's really, what do you feel is the next step for 4-H programming um, in animal science across the state? How do we get more people to know and access that? Um, who else should be engaged? So who else needs to be at the table to have either these types of discussions or to bring into some of those programs? Um, and what additional resources or partnerships are, we, are needed to do that? So we welcome any thoughts around these questions, any others, um, any questions about uh, what we've shared with you so far? Yes. Is there any interaction between 4-H and FFA? How does that work? That's a great question. So I think our, we're really strengthening those local partnerships between 4-H and FFA and in most areas across the state. And uh, we know that we, we really overlap and we, we see that. So I'd say at the state fair um, and some of our state contest levels, we do, do quite a bit of overlap. Um, a lot of those programs that we listed are done in FFA classrooms across the state. So we're really trying, working hard to strengthen those relationships. But that's definitely one of the easy
before they attend one of the day-long meetings around connecting the dots. So a partnership thing that used to be here, not necessarily with 4-H, is teachers have the opportunity to come during the summer and run through a program. And I would see that as a way for some of us to do basic science and don't have extension appointments to be able to engage um, because we might do more basic things that would kind of lay the foundation. A little different, but it makes me think of another pilot that um, Dr. Ashut Guru, who is our um, uh, engagement and curriculum specialist, is working on, where he's using uh, graduate students in departments and they zoom in or Skype into local programs to provide that content expertise. So there's a three way partnership between the classroom teacher, the local 4 H youth development person. And then this graduate student who has content expertise in their department, and then they co collaboratively teach a six session or six week school enrichment program to try to connect the, the three areas of expertise. So that's a, a pilot right now, and I think we hope to expand that further as we move forward, kind of working out the kinks on that. And you, you made me just remember, so I actually didn't mention this, but Dr. Ray, you've done some of the next chapter. Um, what are, you, what are we calling those? Ask us. Ask a scientist. Is that what we're calling? Oh, um, I think it was, was ask a professor or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I've done two of them. Mm -hmm. so basically, high school aged youth, uh, mostly juniors and seniors, basically via we connected via Zoom, and they for an hour, half hour, forty five minutes simply ask questions, ask any and everything related to college, how to prepare, uh, what classes are like. Some of them I could answer, some of them I couldn't. But. It's a great opportunity to get FaceTime with students and, and get visibility for animal science. So I do appreciate you doing those. And I know the kids really love that part of the Next Chapter program, so that's one of their favorites. Uh, but remind me of that as well. Trying to do some more zooming in and things, obviously, travels restricting so Ron asked a question about large population centers and you gave a list of three cities. Uh, has there ever been any thought about cooperatively uh, working with people in Illinois or, or Minnesota or Colorado or where there's really big metropolitan areas and trying to deliver some messages about agriculture? And, uh, and it'd have to be a cooperative effort between the two, right? Because you probably just can't go in there and do something. Um, we certainly have partnerships with the 4-H and Occlesi who are in those states, in those Langer universities. Um, I'm trying to think of if I know of any examples where we've programmed. I can think of examples where we've done shared research and evaluation work together or operational work, like the way we might collect data around enrollment. We do a lot of that kind of collaborating. I'm not as familiar with program collaboration opportunities, but it's certainly an idea to add to the list. I don't think Kathy's here, Anderson, but she has done that with, a lot of those have been Zoom, but she's done that around the horse where they've used, um, like where maybe one week an extension, she taught, and then a week, then I see someone from Michigan State taught or another time it was someone from Kentucky. They did them on Zoom where they had. Maybe that's geared more towards adult audiences, but still. Yeah. Good example. I think, I think, yeah, because I think a lot of the youth stuff using Zoom has been more recent, which actually, like, the, I'm saying from teaching the kids in the cat class, 
cat club, I was really, really nervous. I'm pretty sure I talked to multiple people how nervous I was, but teaching 10 year olds using technology, but they can do it. Uh, I, I would say I have a 15 year old who fixes all my technology problems, but they can do it way better than me. They actually love it. They like to show me their webcams and put their cat in front of the camera. Like their cats are the picture, but so, so it is very easy to do with little, with even pretty, my cat club kids are probably like the eight to 12 range. And maybe their mom started for them, but they definitely do it all themselves once they're on there. You know, initially it started that we were, as a county, we're going to have them come into the office and then do the Zoom for them. And that right? was my freaking out about technology. And then I knew I had a, I had a, a student uh, in Cass County who was in the cat club and just, I was like, I think Brady can handle that. She's, she's got it. And she's, picked it up and ran with it and she loved it. And it, it was, I think, her doing all of the technology herself. So they are very well versed in us. Sure. But I like the idea of trying to connect with, because we don't have really large population centers like a lot of kids do. It's a little different. We have related to that, and I can't recall the name of the program. We have a proposal in at the moment to, I don't remember what it's called. <coughs> PD step. PD step. What we purposely focused in on were urban schools. So we have seven schools, Omaha, Lincoln, Carney may have been the other. Like the Pillion, several of these school systems. And the intent of that was because Nebraska has just announced a new statewide science program. We wanted to try to get in early and to try to get teaching teachers to be engaged to get what we offer as a program into their curriculum as they're trying to move towards dealing with this new set of science, literacy, standards. We haven't heard back. I think we should, so I don't know if that's good or bad at the moment, but I think part of the, the only reason to raise it is we, we're, we're concerned that we're losing out on urban kids getting a view of agriculture that we can't fix because they graduate from high school with certain perceptions of what we do. So it seems a really important area of programming is trying to reach those kids within their new high. And I think there's a, a view within the department, we need to try to move towards working with these urban school systems and those kids. And clearly there would be a 4 FFA component that would work really nice for that. What, what type of programming are you thinking? Well, what we proposed was a three year, my memory would be better. Uh, we broke it up into three disciplinary areas dealing with the ideas of sustainable beef cattle production. And I'm happy to share the proposal, but there's a three-year program. The intent was to uh, have teachers on campus for periods of time, but a lot of it be driven by online materials. So the intent would be to get them to engage with us before they were here for shorter workshops. But it's broken up into various areas of sustainable production. So there's a land component, there's more of a basic science component, and there's a, what's the third bit? Right. I don't feel so bad. There's three bits, very entertaining, very memorable. Um, that we thought was relevant for the, given the science, science curriculum. Yeah. That makes me kind of jump back to your question. So while I couldn't come up with an example of programming, that train the trainer model to disseminate national programming is certainly something that we do um, through national meetings or through National Forage Council helping support those kinds of training opportunities. 
So while I don't know that I have experience going into other states and teaching, train the trainer in terms of curriculum that we would offer is the norm for us. And that, that happens in Forge and Extension on a regular basis. One of the outcomes needed to be for the proposal is a broader remit. So we're trying to tie into national standards. So in theory, the programming that could be extended is being suggested to other states. Yeah. One question I have is you talk about the, the STEM and AG. I guess, so I've heard, and it was a uh, person speaking from the Iowa Governor's Council on STEM, uh, they said it really should be STEAM and agriculture should be the A in it. But really, because, but is there, how much overlap do you have between teaching the science and STEM versus AG and then the, you know, using AG? introducing the people that are maybe not typical ag but teaching about the science because some of the work that physiology does and others is really basic science and also you know and so being in the meats area they connect to food using those some of those examples in the stem areas as opportunities but even you know cross-linking the other way saying you know you're ag but production but what's the science behind it and digging deeper in that I'll start and then you can chime in. I think when we talk about teaching through a science literacy framework, that's what we're referring to. But the content, though, incredibly important in the way that we prepare our uh, instructors about teachers really content agnostic. We're saying what's the science framework through which we deliver clear through to the way that we assess science or STEM outcomes are really things around general attitudes, perceptions, and behaviors. Um, around science, technology, engineering, and math, and aspirations to go on to higher ed in those areas. So I, I think we're saying the same thing. Like we're really trying to hear our our instructors, educators, assistants, and volunteers who are delivering programming to teach whether it is robotics or animal science or rocketry or any of those that have a STEM um, foundation to teach that through a science literacy or a STEM framework. Um, so I, I think we're saying the same thing, but. That, that's, that is important to what we do. And when you see that pulling centric circle on the middle of our table um, about science literacy, that's what that means is that we teach a lot of our topic areas through that lens and through that framework. Does that make sense? Is that, yeah. That's a good question. I haven't said art in this game. I don't know how people feel about that, but <laughs> I think it's it makes more sense. Idea. Yeah, it is. <laughs> And that was ever before I heard A should be arts. And oh, wow. Well. I mean, this is like, you know, it's the, it, it's an application of the science. We have a clothing curriculum that uses STEAM and they use the arts reference to teach clothing instruction through science, technology, engineering, math. You know, I wouldn't think about reaching the urban community or the kids in particular to try, try to get them maybe. Change some of their perceptions. Interested in uh, agriculture, you know. I think about uh, how do you get them engaged, and, and in my mind, uh, with technology now and what, where they interact. I see no reason why we can't do things like have little video clips where. I mean, maybe you're just out in the middle of a field somewhere and you're just like, okay, this is what's going on today and this is why we do whatever it is, right? Or this is how we mix a ration. But help them understand not just the science behind it, but help them to see some of the other things, right? For instance, that we care about the cattle or we care about the animals that we're taking care of. And this is why we do this or this is why we do that. 
and kind of bring in some of that ag literacy that maybe uh, stem the tide of misperception. I guess the hard part of that is that we, and I think all of us probably in that group, is that we want to we want to make sure it's good for college, so that there's nothing that we do that might be construed incorrectly, and all of these things. And so we tend to let that get a little bit right? Go out and build, bring out your camera, your uh, phone, and start videoing what you're doing. Oh, that's scary, right? I mean, that would be scary to me. But as I think about what they see now, they're on Twitter and somebody puts up a 60 second video and they show whatever, and that's how they get their information. And so, how do we use that to our advantage? If they're used to receiving information that way, is there something we could do to, to do that very low input and actually reach them? One of the ideas that came up in writing the proposals would be to use almost 3D camera from the perspective of a cow grazing in a pasture. Mm -hmm. And then actually getting plants out of the ground, as Jerry Valeski was doing. And then do nutrient analysis with the soil with your plants. And then actually have dry plants as part of demonstration, as part of labs. So it's to try to, to do that in a way that on, on cameras would be that YouTube quality. but. How do we do it well enough that we can reach that project? Yeah, that's a really good point. And we've, we've struggled with the, like, it has to be polished, it has to be perfect before it goes out. And you know, the mapping your perspective like mentioned earlier has really kind of taken us out of that box a little bit. And it's truly professional videoing themselves. That's where kids are at. That's what they're used to seeing yeah. on Snapchat, different things. So it is us having to get over that. but. We do have a couple of different pieces. So raising Nebraska Building in um, Grand Island, uh, the career team is working on putting together some AR pieces that can go along with careers and that. And I'm just sure Anna McClain will be represented in part of that. I don't know if you know more. is working on that as well. Um, and then um, the STEM careers issue team does some um, virtual field trips that they get to send out to classrooms. And those are professionally done videos that they will come out. So if you have some great ideas on one that you want to pitch to that team, I'm sure they would love to book a, a field trip to Ambiental Science or one of your uh, research facilities or whatever that may be. I think you're totally right. The two minute YouTube video is a, a way consumers of all types are receiving information now. And so how do we capitalize on that and, and we not be afraid to put pretty raw footage out there in the circulation. And I, I think that one of the ways we've tried to think about that is to uh, be intentional about using that kind of footage in a couple of ways. One, the direct direct consumer or direct to learner, where we post it and host it and, and wait for people to sort of you know find it and hit on it. The other is packaging that as part of a learning series or a learning opportunities, where that's just another tool, almost a curriculum replacement where it's subbed in. Um, so I think as you're thinking about doing those kinds of videos, thinking about how much mileage you can get out of those. Uh, the other thing is that there's certainly a place and a space for both of those, um, the more polished level of resource and um, the, the quick and easy two minute, I'm out here, I'm going to show you something really practical and hands on. And I'll just share this because we've um, recently gone through developing an um, online learning module series, this focused for 4-H um, practitioners, not young people. Uh, with the Children, Youth, and Family Studies Department, they have an instructional designer there. 
if you are considering developing anything more polished like that, I would just plug that department and, and that designer. They've been exceptional to work with and really understand the, um, in our case, the youth and the learner space and what that lens looks like. And so um, I'd be happy to share that reference if that's what you're after. In that process, we thought we were developing that for a, a asynchronous learning experience where staff would go on to watch it. And as we were launching those, pretty quickly we were getting calls from other people saying, you know what, I'm going to use this as a foundation for a train the trainer piece I'm going to go in and deliver. So they use our video as a way to like supplement the discussion in the curriculum. So they play a little bit of it, have a discussion, play a little bit more, have a discussion. So then sort of midway, we said, okay, well, if we're gonna be using it in that way, then we start providing supplemental materials. So along with this video, we also have these handouts if you're gonna use it in a classroom setting or, or whatever. So uh, yes, absolutely maximize and think about that from all angles to get the most bang for your buck out of that kind of stuff. I'm, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna show my ignorance here, but it, it, it seems to me that an ideal circumstance is one where the students in the classroom are exposed to a concept or knowledge or information, and, and that's reinforced and augmented by the youth programs, 4-H, FFA, and so forth. And, and so it seems to me that the ideal way for that to work is for that to be kind of a coordinated effort. And, uh, you know, again, it's been a while since my kids have been in school, let alone me, but I, I get a sense that the instructors at, in our public schools have a set list of things that they have to cover. And so in some ways it seems to me maybe the most effective way to work is to provide tools for them to cover those required elements that have agriculture integrated into them. Is that plausible? Is it possible? Is, do teachers say, okay, I got a list of concepts I've got to cover, so I've got to go in my own mind, create ways to deliver that, or do they, when they get their list of things they have to teach, are they given the, the building blocks to present that? And if that's the case, then we ought to be on the ground floor with those building blocks. And if it's not the case, and it's up to the teacher, then we ought to be building content and program for those teachers to meet what they're required to cover while coordinating the supportive activities around that. Maybe that's, maybe I just restated the whole concept, I don't know, but I'm, I'm confused about how we integrate in, it seems like we're on the outside trying to do everything we can to help, but we need to be inside if we can. I'll start and just say like that is a really important strategy and you could certainly probably do more of that. That is a pretty um, strong part of the way we develop curriculum and make sure that curriculum is tied to school standards. And when we approach a school about school enrichment, that is the conversation we're having. If these are the standards that we reach in third grade, here are ways we believe we can supplement that. So that's, you know, really that, that structure has forced us to come to the plate in that way and say, yeah, we want time in your classroom. We feel like we have something valuable to offer, but there has to be a mission match there. 
So we have restructured a lot of our curriculum um, and certainly the way we recruit and, and offer services to schools around the standards discussion. When you build curriculum, who uses your curriculum? Is that for 4-H educators or is that for school teachers? And how, who, who do you build curriculum for? So all of the above. Some um, titles are more tailored to one delivery mode than another, but certainly teachers are a large purchaser of the curriculum um, that we would develop as well as other states and, and you build professionals in other organizations. So we know that um, particularly our elementary teachers um, maybe aren't as comfortable with science and teaching science, right? High school may be a little different, but for sure elementary teachers struggle a little more back. So any of these um, programs, curriculums that we can give them, they're, they love. They're all in on those. And typically the feedback we get on any of our festival style programs is that these are things we cannot do in the classroom. Right, so they they need the hands-on pieces to really be able to get that information to click. So um, I don't know if that helps the answer. Yeah, I think it's a yes. I think it's a yes and. So we can provide this hands-on experience that in some ways is different than what they can do in the classroom, especially if they're coming to us. But in order for them to justify that time away from the classroom, there has to be a, a standard match for them to be able to say, yes, we're gonna invest school resources here and we're gonna invest time here because their time is also you know, really carefully monitored uh, towards meeting those standard benchmarks. And ideally, the ideal model is really that they either do pre-work before they get to those, those hands-on experiences or that they do post-work or both. So we know that uh, teachers really want to get all they can out of that experience. Yeah, I was going to say what you're saying is probably why you have after school and, and extra activity types of things rather than in the classroom. Work. Yeah, my all of them, right? right? Not everything. My experiences, they are pretty structured. They have a curriculum that my dad taught at school forever. They, the school board decides what curriculum they use, and so you'd almost have to be an advocate into some of those curriculum decisions in order to get it more ag-based, I would say. Like, I, I just know, I mean, no, they were told which book to use, yeah. what standards to meet. And so it, it doesn't give them as much leverage, I think, to do some during the school day stuff. So yeah, after school be really important, but, and I don't, I don't know how much 4-H is able to, you know, cooperate with or integrate with school boards that make some of those curriculum or administrators that do. I think this is where 4-H can be really helpful is that we do foster those relationships with at the local level. So we're administration is usually very familiar with the programming that we do um, and that really helps and, and local teachers as well. So um, that helps us to kind of have a, a foot in the door because they know the quality of programming that's already offered. Yeah, to your question about how um, involved are we, I don't know that we've really, or at least in my experience, been involved with school boards and saying, well, this is the seventh grade science book we're going to choose, but our role has really been in how do we supplement that, and uh, in our experience, like, though that it is pretty rigid, there are times when they can bring in supplemental experiences, again, as long as they link back to support of the standards. So that's that's really been where we've tried to intersect is in, you know, not in, they're going to choose their own curriculum, but what do we have, what resources do we have that can help supplement their end goal as well. 
which is why a lot of times we do hit that third through fifth grade because the, the programming that we do, particularly in animal science and agriculture, works really well with the standards that are associated with those grade levels. Um, it's easier for that, that programming age group. Other thoughts about creative ways we might collaborate or ways that our youth development expertise might be useful to you. I feel like that's often a street where we're coming to you for expertise and would be open to if there are things we could provide to your team as well. So other thoughts about either of those questions? I would just say that um, to me, the, the, the strength lies in matching the curriculum requirements. And it, it, it seems to me if, if, if someone was to look at those curriculum requirements with an eye toward where does animal science fit, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there, and create sort of a package that way that perhaps you have some leverage to get that into practice. I mean, I've spoken to high school teachers before on, you know, giving it, you give a little demonstration. Here's something you might do in your classroom, and there always seems to be a lot of interest. But man, I, every time you hear the comment, well, we don't really have time to do that, and and so. It's frustrating, you know, I, I, and somebody, and I wish I could remember who, but a year or two ago I heard somebody talk about, I think it was the soybean board or somewhere that, that took a more holistic view like I'm trying to describe in this, and they described, well, they went to the math class, and when the math was trying to teach a particular math concept, they created a series of examples using soybeans for that concept. And they kind of went through the entire program and found places where, okay, when the students in math today, they can get that program driven. And then when they're over here in, a, in another class, a different concept, but guess what? Soybean is the example you can use there as well. And so, it just sounded to me like the, the right way to go about trying to embed in the curriculum the, the kinds of ag-focused knowledge that we want to get. And it, it, it can be done in the context. I don't, I, don't think, I, don't, I don't think we're going to be very successful going in trying to say, throw out what you got and take what we have. But if, boy, if we can just figure out a key place where we can augment what they're doing, and I, I love the idea that that's coordinated with things that you can't do in the classroom because of time and resources and all the rest of that, that can be augmented through the, through the youth programs. I think that's a win-win. But without that connection to what they're doing inside, it just seems like we're banging on the windows trying to get in. And, and with limited success, depending on what program happens to click I would say a lot of our 4-H educators feel the same way because it's, it's such a process. So forming those relationships and really networking is key. So hopefully. with the conversation though about you about like are there uh, even a list of target standards where we might be the most effective in developing resources around this? There are lots of places where I could see multiple curriculums supplementing, but are there targets that we feel like we'd be best with? There are some 
newer middle school science one. I think it's middle school. I'm pretty sure it's science. Um, that are, are I forget the actual words. I don't know remember. Like, but like problem based. But they have a certain term. I kept making fun of it. I just, I started. I started having it. One of my friends helped. Who's a science teacher for LPS started helping me write a grant proposal. But they have like an. It's like a like a problem based or issue based. But like they. What they want is some kind of an example, and then the students have to like figure out it from that. And so we talked about it a lot because I think there's a lot of cool animal science examples you could put into those, right? Because so you have a problem, and the students have to learn the science based on solving the problem. She had she did so my friend did hers um, on like plant behavior, like a unit on plant behavior. So she and I keep talking, and I think I'll end up doing but an animal behavior one that would tie in after that. Um, but since middle school science standards have switched to all be like a problem based, I really feel like we can, there's a lot of ag examples you can put in a problem based thing that would apply to a lot of people. And I think our, my bias, um, meets, my bias is if you say create something for uh, a program, I'm thinking discipline specific, yep. right? Here's, here's meat, here's what I want you to know about meat. But I think it's better and more effective if I say, here's some concepts, and then I go, how can meat be used to apply that concept? It's, it's, it kind of turns the, my thought process upside down, but perhaps in a way that's more usable or approachable to those instructors. Yeah, because her, like, she had a plant, this is where I got, really, she had a plant behavior, and I kept thinking plant behavior sounded so mm -hmm. weird. But like a plant behavior yeah. example where it's like in some area, right, these certain animals ate all the leaves off of these trees. Well, then it affected the hormones and production. And then how did that? So it was like all of these science concepts that rolled off of this one problem. But she was like, our problem as middle school science teachers is knowing what are those problems that then fall they don't off all those things. They don't give that to you. We have a lot of strengths working with the club program, obviously, and pace and those types of activities. And it's very challenging to keep up with how those kids look at those programs, what the goals and objectives are. I consider that our new potatoes on programming. Yep. And actually, that's probably where we're recruiting students into our program as well as for that element of what we do. So please don't just dismiss how we work in that sure, absolutely. space. I mean, all this other conversation is very important, but for me, it's a challenge. You know, how do I keep things fresh? Yep. You know, how do I keep poultry judging fresh and kids interested, wanting to come to it, or poultry exhibition? So those things we need to repackage almost. How often, but it's it's challenge. Yeah, no, absolutely, and, and you're exactly right. Like certainly, we have spent a lot of time talking around um, after school and school enrichment. The club program is incredibly strong in Nebraska, and will continue to be that is certain. Um, and as I think about you know your specific area of work, it's even how do we continue to uh, provide train the trainer approaches to faculty and educators across counties who may not have any expertise in your content area and will continue to rely on this department for that in a large way because we're not hiring educators with expertise in any one of your discipline areas. We're hiring them with expertise in youth. Right. 
So that's yeah, absolutely. communicating to us how we deliver modules to help them use that with their leaders and their youth. I have to do a lab for Dr. Riley next week, and we're just graduates. Like your assignment is, we're going to do a short video of each section of that lab, then so we can use that in 4-H and FFA training. Absolutely. But then my next question is, is how do I get those videos reviewed? How do I get credit as a specialist in <coughs> those modules? Um, we're not getting a lot of training on how to do this kind of stuff, Jill. I don't know the answer to part B of your question, yeah. but part A of your question, um, certainly we've got a resource in terms of an instructional designer. Now that person costs for us. But I wonder if we could even like look to him to help us develop sort of a, a framework for overview and and almost a template approach would be helpful to that. That's yeah, it. and I think we need to kind of, again, have this discussion within the 4-H um, office. How do we reface ourselves yeah. and, and keep this curriculum fresh, keep students wanting to engage? I think that's a great point. I know working with a lot of new staff, like Jill had mentioned, they, don't, they aren't maybe as familiar in, in your content areas. So mm -hmm. particularly thinking about pace, they really want, and their volunteers as well, they really sure. want to be comfortable before they come to that contact and making sure their teams are prepared. So I think all of those different contests having some sort of um, mock contest they can do at the local level, that's been of a lot of interest to a lot of them. So I would be really pondering what we could do for that audience to keep it fresh, help yeah. more engagement out there in the state. Because it's growing so fast at the face grown and I, it's the same content for both. I can yeah. create content for both at the same time. Would it be helpful to get that the group of those of you who do those case contests together and kind of have a brainstorming session about that? Would that probably, be probably. Dennis, you who work with some of the same issues, I'm sure. Well, my comments would be: we're, we were scheduled to be in 211 to do the session. Yeah, sure. Go down to 211 now. It's my fault. We could chat. Whoever's here, we should thank them for the seminar. Yeah. Yeah.